in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, the sound, like that of a violent rushing wind, came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. And tongues, like flames of fire that were divided, appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different languages as the Spirit gave them ability for speech. There were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. When this sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. And they were astounded and amazed, saying, Look, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us can hear in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those who live in Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking the magnificent acts of God in our own languages. So this river used to be the main mode of transportation for people from all over the world who were coming out west. In fact, they call this area the gateway to the west because people from every tribe, every nation, every tongue were pouring through this port, coming down this river uh, on their way to a new life. There were uh, native dialects being spoken, African uh, languages and dialects being spoken, Asian languages, European languages, uh, Indian languages, languages from all over the world being spoken. And, and I imagine them sort of bouncing off of the water and, and filling up the streets and just a cacophony of sound different people from different places all speaking at one time. It must have been a lot like that, that day in Jerusalem, 50 days after Passover, at the festival they called the, the Feast of Pentecost, when Jewish pilgrims from literally all over the world came together to worship together, to celebrate God, and, and there were tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of them, who all arrived during that feast. They were speaking hundreds of different languages and, and hundreds of different dialects. And then something happened that was truly spectacular. The scripture says that a sound came into Jerusalem. A, it sounded like a violent gale, a mighty rushing wind just sweeping into Jerusalem. And then spontaneously, 120 followers of Jesus began to speak in languages that they had never learned and, and never heard. It must have sounded like absolute chaos at first, but the chaos began to distill down into clarity as each person began to hear 
things about God being spoken in their own language. Today, I want to speak to you briefly on the subject, God Speaks Your Language. If you've ever traveled abroad, you know how easy it is to misunderstand other people and for other people to misunderstand you. Because a lot of times when you're trying to communicate uh, and somebody speaks a different language than you, things can get lost in translation. I'll give you an example. Uh, I think you'll like this one. At an airport in India, uh, a sign maker was trying to say something. I'm not sure what he was trying to say, but he ended up saying, eating carpet is strictly prohibited. In another example, uh, at a hotel in Iraq, uh, they were trying to advertise the, the meatballs at the buffet table, but unfortunately something got lost in translation and it just simply said, Paul is dead. <laughs> at a mosque in Bahrain, this is one of my favorites. Uh, I'm not sure what the sign was trying to say, but I, I sort of resonate with it. It said, toilet the place for prayer. <laughs> All right, here's another one. Uh, this candy maker was trying to advertise the, the flavor of his candy, and I'm not exactly sure what he was going for, but he ended up saying, cream milk with coconut humans. <laughs> okay, last one, and this one goes out to all the parents. This sign in Spanish simply says, no gritar, do not cry. I'm gonna hang that sign in my house. It's funny because a lot of times when you're trying to communicate with somebody else, things can get lost in translation. That's because you're speaking a different language than the language that they're speaking. That's why I find it so fascinating that in Acts chapter two, God takes the time, he takes the moment, he creates this miracle where he speaks to you, he speaks to me, he speaks to us in our own language. So the question is, what was so important? What was so important for God to convey to us that he, he created this incredibly dramatic, powerful miracle, something that's stunning, really. One of the strangest and most beautiful miracles in the Bible. What was so important that he had to convey to us that he would do it through the people who were following him in the languages of all of us? What was he trying to convey? It's, it's interesting because they didn't give a list of religious dogmas or, or religious rules or prescriptions or prohibitions. What they said, we know from what the hearers tell us, they said, because the hearers said this. They said they were speaking the magnificent acts of God in our own language. What's so fascinating about that, the word magnificent comes from the Greek word megas, which is where we get the English word mega, as in megaplex or megaphone or mega corporation. It means huge, it means massive, it means powerful. In other words, the early Christians 
the thing that they were communicating to us was not about them, not about who they were, what they believed, what they were all about. What they wanted to communicate to us was the absolute power of the God they served, the power of God. My cousin, a few years ago, uh, asked me if I wanted to ride his dirt bike. He lives out in the country and he invited me to ride his dirt bike and I hadn't ridden a dirt bike since I was a kid. So I said, sure. So I jump on his dirt bike and um, I, I really forgot how powerful they were. So I, I, you know, I pulled in the clutch, I revved the engine, uh, I shifted down into first, popped the clutch, and man, <laughs> the dirt bike took off and basically just left me lying in the dirt. And the reason I ended up in the dirt is because I had forgotten, I had forgotten how powerful those machines are. I wonder today if some of us have forgotten, or maybe some of us, maybe we've never experienced the power of God in our lives. And so we're asking the question today, does God have the power to save me? Does he have the power to heal? Does he have the power to pull me out of this depression? Does he have the power to pull me out of this shame spiral that I'm in? Does he have the power to pull me out of the financial crisis that we're in? Does he have the, the power to mend my relationship? Does he have the power to heal my heart? Does he have the power to forgive my sins? Does he have power to bring us together? Maybe you're asking that question today and God is speaking to you and he's speaking to you in your language because he wants you to know he has not only the power, he has the mega power. He has the kind of power that draws us together, that heals the brokenhearted, that proclaims liberty to the captive and the opening of the prison to them who are bound. He has the power to do everything that you need and more, things that you couldn't even ask or imagine. And he wants you to know that. And so he's telling you that today in your own language. graffiti wall in St. Louis, the famous graffiti wall. And what's interesting is that graffiti artists for decades have used bright colors and complex and elaborate images and, and cool graphics to express themselves and to identify themselves. They, they paint uh, these works of art uh, out in public so that everybody can see what they've made and who they are. In fact, a lot of times um, they'll identify themselves with like a little tag or a signature um, that actually indicates to everybody else, hey, this is specifically my artwork. It's interesting because uh, Simon Peter, as he's preaching on the day of Pentecost, he says something fascinating in Acts chapter 2. He says, uh, this Nazarene, Jesus, was pointed out to you by God through wonders, miracles, and signs. In other words, he's saying, God is identifying Jesus through these miracles, wonders, and signs. It's kind of like the graffiti artist whose specific images and specific unique complex characters and original fonts identifies who that artist is, right? And then Jesus pulls his tag, his signature move. The scripture says that God resurrected this Jesus from the dead and we were all witnesses of it. In other words, this identifies who Jesus is specifically. 
In fact, in the next verse, Simon Peter says, God made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. You see, what's so powerful and beautiful about what's being conveyed by the early Christians on the day of Pentecost is not just like the general power of God, but it's also the specific identity of the person of Jesus. So yes, it's, it's the power of God, but it's also the person of Jesus. Uh, several years ago, I was at a conference in, in Brooklyn, New York, and one of my favorite preachers on the planet of favorite pastors is a guy named Tony Evans out of Texas. Uh, and he was preaching at this conference, and he gave a, an amazing sermon, as he always does. Uh, and I, I actually have a lot of it. I could, I could quote some of it verbatim today. But what was even more powerful to me than his sermon was about 30 minutes later. We're out in the lobby. I'm out in the lobby, and I look over, and I see Tony Evans just standing there hanging out in the lobby. Well, I didn't know if I'd get a chance to meet him again, so I went over, and I introduced myself to him. Uh, and what was super cool is that it went, my relationship with him, although he doesn't know me well or anything like that, doesn't know me at all, but, but for me, it went from some kind of like hearing his teaching, a vague sense of who he was, to actually meeting him in the flesh. There's a great scripture uh, from the book of John, and, and it's at the very beginning of the book of John. It says, in the beginning was the word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then you go down a few verses, it says, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt amongst us. You see, what's so important for us is not only to have a general sense of God's power, but to have a personal sense of God's identity in Jesus. What I love about that scripture, it says, the word was God. This is, and in the beginning, there's this power. But then it says the word was made flesh and dwelt amongst us. What that means is that God, through Jesus, wants to identify with you. He wants to know you. He wants to have a relationship with you. He wants you to experience him, not just in this vague, ethereal sense, but to experience him personally. I know that can sound cliche, like God wants a personal relationship with you, but it's true. He really does. In fact, the reason Jesus came was so that he could suffer like you. He could experience the kind of pain that you experience. He could experience the kind of temptation that you experience. He could go through the same heartaches and heartbreaks and fears and anxieties that you go through. Not so that he could relate to you, but so that you could relate to him. He wants to have that kind of relationship with you today. And I love that these early Christians are not just conveying the power of God, but they're also conveying the intimate person of Jesus. So that wherever you are today, whatever you're going through, whatever you're experiencing, you can know that God is right there with you. He's in it with you. He's with you right here, right now, in your house, in your room, with you right now. So the early Christians were conveying on that day of Pentecost, in your language, the power of God, the person of Jesus, and then they had one more piece of information that they wanted to communicate to you, and they wanted to say it in your language. A zatim sljedeće četiri rečenice polako, 
svaka od ni od sljedeće. Slovo stalo plotiju i žilo sredi nas. I gnjom bila žizn. At the very end of Simon Peter's sermon on that day of Pentecost, when he's got everybody there, people from every nation, every tribe, every tongue, he says something very interesting. He says, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He says, this promise is for you, it's for your children, and it's for all of those who are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. You see, what's so beautiful to me about that moment is he's conveying that the power of God is available through the person of Jesus And he's saying that the promise is for you. The promise of the Holy Spirit is for you. A promise is something that you can grab a hold of. My son, Augustine, who's six years old, uh, actually this last week, uh, was hitting me up this week because he wanted to make these Rice crispy Marshmallow Easter eggs. It was already after Easter. He'd been asking me for like a week, can we make the marshmallow Rice crispy Easter eggs? And I kept saying, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll make the Easter eggs. Finally, this last week, I think it was on Tuesday, he said, Dad, can we make the Rice crispy Easter egg marshmallow eggs today? I said, sure, son, we can make it. And then he, he, he pinned me against the wall. He moved in for the kill and he said, Dad, do you promise? Because he knows that if I promise, I'm bound to it. You see, God made a promise and he's bound to it. He made a promise to be with you and not only to be with you, but to pour out his spirit so that he could not just be with you, but he could be in you. He promised that the spirit would guide you. He promised that the spirit would lead you. He promised that the spirit would convict you when you go astray one way or another. He promised that the spirit would empower you to be his witness in Jerusalem and Judea and the uttermost parts of the earth. He promised that he would pour his spirit into you to equip you and empower you to live out the life that he called you to live, to live out the destiny that he made for you. And that is a promise for you. So wherever you are today, whatever circumstance you're in, whatever situation you're in, whatever hole you may have found yourself in, in the middle of this crazy time that we're in, this, this crisis time that we're in, know that the power of God is available to you through the person of Jesus, and that's a promise for you. He wanted you to know that today. He wanted you to know that so badly that he spoke it in your language. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and lived among us. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. In the beginning was the and the 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and lived among us. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind.